Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. And today we're going to be looking into the heart of yoga philosophy and practice as it shows us how to live a life of purpose and meaning. We all have a deep soul calling to live a life with meaning and purpose. And the questions that arise is, you know, how do we discern? How do we discern what is ours to do? How do we answer that calling that we have deep inside us? How do we respond to it? How do we get beyond our fears or obstacles to realizing our purpose in life? Well, we're really fortunate today because we have Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker with us, who's written a fabulous book, The Four Desires, Creating a Life of Purpose, Happiness, Prosperity, and Freedom. So he's going to be sharing with us today how he has been teaching about this very thing for decades, um, really how we can live our dharma, how we can live with higher purpose. Welcome, Yoga Rupa. I'm so delighted that you're back today on Yoga Hour. What a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you very much. And before we dive into our conversation about dharma, about living with higher purpose, let's take a moment, uh, a yoga moment, to just center ourselves. In this moment, let's begin by simply breathing consciously, becoming aware of our breath, breathing in, feeling that incoming breath moving through your nostrils, the coolness of the air, feel it touching the back of your throat, your lungs expanding your abdomen expanding, and then the out-breath, the air a little warmer now moving out again. Such a simple and beautiful way to begin to move our attention from externals, from the periphery of things into the heart of our heart. And the breath of our breath. So as we use our physical breath to guide our attention within, we can feel as if we are diving into the infinite ocean of spirit that is our true home. 
the expansive, unbounded, birthless, deathless being. That is our essence, the essence of everyone and everything. So as you breathe in, feel that you are diving within into the infinite self, the infinite divine self, and breathing out, just letting go of any tension, and really preparing yourself for this time that you've set aside for yourself now to contemplate living with higher purpose. Breathing in, breathing out. Gently. How beautiful to know that we are spiritual beings and that we are expressing through the body-mind vehicles that we're all here with divine purpose. And we can express that purpose through our body, through our mind, as we learn to cooperate with the infinite. So in this moment of meditation, let us feel ourselves surrendering to that higher power opening ourselves to cooperate with that divine intelligence that runs the universe and know that cooperating with that power supports us in blossoming and bearing the fruit of our dharma our swadharma, our individual purpose. So as we conclude this yoga moment of meditation, just feel that you are tuned in and tuned up, that you are aligned with the highest truth of your being, ready and willing to express the fullness of your divine potential, and to know that you expressing your divine potential is a gift to life itself, to everyone around you. It's a blessing that will be supportive of all that you meet. Once again, uh, my guest this morning on today's Yoga Hour is Yogarupa Rod Stryker. He's the author of the book, The Four Desires, Creating a Life of Purpose, Happiness, Prosperity, and Freedom. He's the founder of Para Yoga, a resource for the time-tested wisdom of the yoga tradition. And he's been teaching yoga philosophy and practice for more than 35 years, dedicating his life to improving the lives of others through his lectures, his writing, his creativity, which is vast, his leadership, service, and through the demonstration of living his yoga in his family life as well. You can find out more about Yogarupa Stryker um, and more about his work and his workshops at Para Yoga. That's all one word: P A R A Yoga dot com. So, Yoga Rupa, you, um, uh, you know, I just adore your book, um, The Four Desires, um, which has us looking at the Purushartha, the, the four Vedic goals of life, um, Dharma, uh, living with higher purpose, and Artha, how to um, have the means to do that, Kama, how to enjoy our life, and Moksha, understanding the goal of liberation and what that means to live with 
that higher freedom and and your book is just a wonderful manual for that um and in there, you, you talk about Dharma, of course, as a foundation, which is our, our topic today. Um, and, and you describe uh, so beautifully this magnificence of Dharma as this inherent intelligence in life that is supporting everything and reaching its potential. Um, and the way you describe it, you know, I, I just see all the sciences coming together in your beautiful descriptions of, you know, of a salmon swimming upstream or a baby learning to walk um, or the body healing itself. Um, so, you know, how did you first tune into this higher intelligence that we could say is demonstrated in Dharma? Well, thank you, first of all, Yogacharya, especially... Uh uh, what a wonderful way to start this discussion is with that meditation. I'm sure everyone who was listening to it felt as though you were giving it just to them. Um, Thank you. It really was wonderful. Uh, you know, I would tell you that in a formal way, my my sense of Dharma, uh, my orientation toward this larger idea of the interconnectedness of life, um, this web of intelligence that pervades everything, began in a formal way, really, with the Bhagavad Gita. And, and the Gita was probably the first one that I... Uh, I think that was the very first book I read after Autobiography of a Yogi, um, <laughs> way back in 1979. And uh, I remember reading the Gita in, in around 1980. Um, but, you know, I think as a child, I was always... I always had a, a very strong observer streak, observer in the sense of... Um, um, just maybe being a little less involved in life in a way, and just seeing its intricacies. And there's famous, there's uh, family stories about me uh, playing with snails and creating these little um, uh, habituaries, these little environments where animals could kind of be symbiotic and things like that. So I think it was always in my bones, to be very honest with you. Uh, and 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 you know, to this day, I spent. A lot of my life living in Los Angeles, in, a, in city life, and really so longing for nature. Now we're in Colorado, and uh, um, we just see it. You know, the thing, in a sense, we've become so denatured as human beings that this is, in a way, at asking modern human, modern or civilized human beings, it's kind of a leap of almost asking them to take a leap of faith that nature is so interwoven. We've become so denatured. We've become so out of that loop. But once we spend a little bit of time back in it, we begin to see the intricacies of it. I would ask our listeners today to... There's a video that someone uh, showed me recently. It's all about reintroducing the wolves into the Yellowstone National Park. And the title of this video, I think it's only about seven minutes long, is How the Wolves Changed the River. And it tells you in such a short time the level of intricacy, the, the what I mean, we could not design a machine that was more elegant than nature, and mm. and really that's what we're talking about is that how each everything is woven together in this amazing and gorgeous symbiosis, um, and and really I think the ancients recognized so early on, and certainly in the Vedic wisdom and. Yeah, what gave rise to yoga, of course, was this deep appreciation for uh, our relationship to the world of which we were a part and how we best served it. Not just how we best served, not just the world, but moreover the nature that supports mm-hmm. us and the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what they saw is it being critical to not just our physical well-being, but mm-hmm. as you, you spoke to in this meditation was just even our the very reason we're here is to line up with that intelligence. So right. it started early for me. <laughs> and and then, you know, the question comes for us as, as a, you know, I, I understand, I mean, I, I don't think we know, but we can guess that, you know, no other creatures except human beings have that question of, you know, how do I cooperate with the infinite? You know, how do I live authentically? And uh, as you were speaking uh Yogarupa, I was thinking about how, you know, in this vast experience of nature that is uh, such a divine dance, it's so beautiful, we can, you know, we can see it right in our 
backyard. We can see it in, in the way the body heals itself. You know, I mean, it's just so obvious. Yet, um, we somehow think that we're left out of that support. And that's just mysterious about human beings. I was thinking about a little uh, line from one of the poems of Kabir uh, that was translated by Robert Bly. And, um, you know, he, he, he says, you know, basically, he, you were taken care of in your mother's womb. What is it that makes you think you're entirely orphaned now? <laughs> And so we the first the first obstacle I think you know to living with a uh, higher purpose is is really that spiritual one isn't it of you know discovering what we are and how it is that we fit into this um universe but that is also I would say in a way you're making the case which is something I strongly believe in in a way that we're the only species, we're the only kind of form of life on the planet that can step out of Dharma. We can step out of sync with nature, which with the kind of intelligence that is sustainable, that supports the greater good, the greater whole. For that reason, you know, that's really where free will comes in. And it's really for that reason that we actually feel so satisfied when we step back into it, because the fact is that we can do adharmic or non-dharmic actions and in a way that's that's the great joy of being human is both our our ability to fall off or move away from this track of innate intelligence but then to find it again and to commit Mm -hmm. to it and to live for Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. the level of satisfaction from that is really extraordinary because of the fact that we can veer off that path of um, harmony with the greater good a greater whole Mm, yeah, and I, I was thinking of there's a saying from the Dhammapada of the Buddha. That he he the he references the great joy of finding the stream. Yeah, that's it. Exactly right. Would have said it better than I did. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to think about it, isn't it? The great joy of finding the stream. So. Talk to us a little bit, Yoga Group, about why it's so mysterious to us. You know, what makes it difficult um, for us to do that? What do you see as the main impediment? And, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, whatever you want to say about it. What's behind the driving force that we have to find that stream? Where does Uh, that come from? Oh, well... Because, well, if you, I actually heard two questions in your question. There were two questions, and I just, I just set you up for the whole of yoga philosophy, so go for it. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think the first one is that that's the only place where we can really thrive. Um, you know, so I'm answering the second question first. You ask, you know, why do we long for it? Why do we search it out? And, and in the end, we can fight Dharma. We can fight this order, this intelligence. And, uh, you know, it'll invariably wind up as disease at some level or another. And I might use the word dis-ease. Um, you know, we can all uh, 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 take detours on what we know is the best diet. We can all uh, take detours on what we know is the best lifestyle for ourselves. We can all take temporary um, leave of just common sense of what we think we should be doing and who we should be associating with. But it's not long before the universe reminds us that we're at, we've actually stepped out of the order. And in a way, you know, in terms of the yoga of life, what we'd say is, you know, make friends with making good decisions, decisions that support your well-being, uh, because the more often you do it, the easier it is to do it. But mm-hmm. in short, the reason we do it is because it's where we thrive, and we can't go too far away from dharma before we start impairing our capacity to thrive. Um, and, it, and again, diet or health and friendships and what we read and what movies we see, these are all ways you know, that are all really critical that we continue to stay mindful of through our life um, in order to stay healthy and happy. Um, uh, part two of the question is, you know, why is it? And I think it, it just, why is it difficult for us to do that? Well, precisely because as human beings, we have so much choice. And I don't mean that as a result of social, you know, social uh, technology, social advancements, those things. This has been part of the human beings' challenges and dilemmas since the very beginning, which is 
we stood upright, we began to develop, we had this unique intelligence that allows us to build bridges and to uh, invent art and music and instruments and architecture and design and engineering. And uh, we have so, really, human beings are extraordinary. When we really, get you and I are on the phone, we're not even in the same place. We're conversing about these sublime topics. Uh, we, uh, our forefathers or others have developed the technology for us to do this. We're extraordinary. But the challenge is that Dharma is a kind of silent call. It's always present and yet is unheard by a, a mind that is burdened by a lot of prejudice or distraction or false beliefs. Um, and uh, once we start getting separated from being able to hear it or sense what is best for us, what is what really will help me thrive in the long term. You know, speaking of Buddha, he, he kind of spoke to this idea in a way. He just made it very simple. He, he kind of said um, that there were effectively wholesome and unwholesome desires. Now, clearly, we all have both. Even great sages have uh, Shankaracharya, who's one of the greatest sages in the history of India. He said, you know, I always know what is good, but I don't always do it. But I always know what is not good. But sometimes I do it. <laughs> Shankar, Shankar said that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's refreshing to know, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it is a it is a litany that we see in all the literature, don't we? I mean, we see it in the Bhagavad Gita as sure. well. Arjuna's sure. question: How how does this happen? Yeah, how how do I get out of sync? And so, it is as you said. You joked that this is the basis of philosophy, the you know the core of yogic philosophy. But in short, the reason is because. On the one hand, we can, we can make choices that take us away from the greater good and from thriving. But when we make those choices to thrive on a moment-to-moment basis, simple decisions, what, again, as I said, what we eat, who we associate with, the fact we do our, our, our sadhana, our discipline every day, our practice every day, we, 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 we remember the best of ourselves, we remember our place in this universe, we remember that we're associated to divinity, and we are divinity. Divinity is us. And when we do that, the satisfaction is not just that we will be well, not that we will be healthier, and we will most likely be uh, more successful in the long term. But it really means just the sheer joy. I made the right decision today. We become a living example to ourselves of what mm-hmm. we would like to be and to become. Mm-hmm. That itself mm-hmm. is a great joy. It really is, and I, you know, we. Um you can talk about yoga sometimes as, you know, um, um, cultivating a sattvic uh, lifestyle, a life um, of peace and a higher happiness. And when we do uh, cooperate with our higher self, then naturally the mind becomes more quiet. You know, I think most of us know that one of the problems of going against the, the grain of our divinity is that our conscience uh, gets noisy. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and then we feel that, you know, we feel out of sync. So the same way that we have the joy of feeling in sync, we have the, the pain of uh, feeling out of sync. So we do have this uh, inner guidance system, uh, our GPS, that, that guides us towards dharmic living all the time. Um we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but before we do, uh, Yoga Rupa, will you talk to us about, um, you know, we have Dharma, this uh, inherent um, blossoming of our divine potential, living with higher purpose, um, waking up, being self and God realized, and then we have our Svadharma, which is our, you know, our individual um, expression of that divinity. Um, talk with us a little bit about how that is set up in us. <laughs> you do a great job in your book of of uh, talking about Swadharma. Um, so give us a little insight into that, and then after the break we'll come back and talk about that some more. Sure. Uh, well, I think, you know, you... you you laid it out. You always do. You just, you really throw me a lot of softballs in terms of questions. <laughs> so you really do. You make it easy. But, you know, you, you made this distinction between kind of the, the higher purpose that is common to all of us. I mean, there are two ways to describe it. 
One is our job here, the, the, the highest purpose of our life is to truly, is to learn how not to suffer. Another way of saying that is to learn how to be as happy and healthy and successful as we possibly can by really understanding our place in this universe, and that is our relationship to our source. So we all have that. I mean, in a sense, to the, to the, to the one who's dedicated to that vision, the purpose of life is self-realization. And, uh, and really, it's the ultimate purpose. A life, in effect, would be wasted if we don't understand our spiritual heritage, who we are, and what's brought us here, and have a direct relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, part two, though, as you said, as you mentioned, svadharma, sva meaning self, and dharma meaning, again, we've talked about this, is purpose. Um, the, the sense of that is, it's really the jiva, our individual soul. So, you know, I've had a very real uh, example, living example of this in my life. Very quickly, I'll, you know, I've, I have four children, but they've come in this unique package. And I don't, <laughs> that doesn't sound too strange. Two sets of twins. Two sets of wow. twins. We've wow. gone to the hospital twice, and we've come back with four children. Quite extraordinary. <laughs> and, um, but to watch, you know, they've, um, my second set of twins, born one minute apart, uh, first set, 10 minutes apart, but one minute apart, and they could not be more different. Their strengths, their qualities, their tendencies, their gifts, what they see, what they, um, what they, uh, their challenges, I should say, as well. And that is an example that there is some type of encoding. This is uh, encoding in the soul. Um, it, it's, you know, they were born, essentially, astrologically, it's the same time, and yet they're so distinct. And it's clear they have different potentials. And if both were to honor the best in themselves and they were to make really good choices throughout the course of their life, they would wind up in very different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's kind of a living example, a, a real-life example of the fact that if you, Yogacharya, even though you and I have some very important things in common, really uh, uh, do honor the best in yourself, in other words, fulfill your dharma, and I do the same, although we'll have these fantastic phone calls uh, from time to time and hopefully even a deepening in our relationship, but uh, the fact is you'll be led differently and you will reach different people through your teaching, and I'm a teacher as well, I'll reach people differently. So it's this idea of this uniqueness, and uh, the best way I say it, in a sense, is that we are each a note in the symphony of creation. Mm, that's beautiful. A beautiful way to think of it. And boy, with two sets of twins, you you <laughs> you really do have a front row seat on on watching this unfold in such a beautiful beautiful way. And um, I also think about you know all the yogis who are listening who have uh, young families yeah. and who sometimes feel that you know it's just. Uh, near uh, near to impossible yeah. to uh, live a dharmic life and to even get a meditation in. Yesterday I was talking to a young woman who was a single mom with a two-year-old and she had just started a meditation practice and I said to her, you know, when I talk to um, students, I say, you know, the best thing is to have a regular meditation practice at a regular time every day. I said, unless you're a single mother of a two-year-old, and then the strategy is to meditate whenever you can. <laughs> Boy, it's like you took that page out of my book or vice versa. Um, there's even, you know, yes, exactly. I tell, I try and really um, uh, uh, kind of create a, a realistic sense of what to expect. The first three years of raising a child, a woman is doing an entirely different yoga. And yeah. to, to whatever extent she can bring, bring in her practice, that's it's just gravy. It's just um, it's just icing on the cake. The reality is she's she's doing yoga, but it's just a different type, and and uh, I think that's very important. Um, exactly. Otherwise, we get too frustrated. But when we come back from the break, let's talk more about swadharma. What it is to fulfill our unique 
potential and why it's so important. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest today, Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker, founder and principal teacher of Para Yoga and author of the book, The Four Desires, Creating a Life of Purpose, Happiness, Prosperity, and Freedom. You can find out more about his work at parayoga.com. And we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, Words from Our Past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on A Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and my guest today is Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker, founder of Para Yoga and author of the marvelous book, The Four Desires, Creating a Life of Purpose, Happiness, Prosperity, and Freedom. And in this um, part of the program, we're going to talk a little bit about what 
What Swadharma is, um, and we've talked about it as our individual uh, expression, you know, each of us, of course, are unique. All we have to do is look around and see that we all look different and we all have different talents and abilities. And uh, when we think of Dharma, we have this um, basically subset of it, which is um, to express in fullness um, that um, which we are with our unique capacities. And in, in your book, Yoga Rupa, you, you quote uh, George Bernard Shaw, uh, a quote that many of us have heard, but to look at it in the light of Dharma is, is really quite profound. And this quote is, um, this is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Um, being a force of nature instead of a feverish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. <sighs> so I think, you know, um, that's really a switch um, that has to be turned um, in our hearts and in our minds as we approach this topic of Swadharma. And I would call that switch the switch of surrender, which is, you know, opening ourselves um, to living out that higher purpose as it wants to express um, through us. And as you so eloquently said in the first part of the program, the, the reason we're impelled to do that is that, um, we're, we're not really satisfied until we do. So, you know, we're, we're built so, um, divinely as, as far as this goes. So how do you see this, um, being a force of nature, uh, as connected to our Swadharma? You, you know, if I, uh, it, Let's go back to what I acknowledged right before our break, and I, I talked about being a father. So I, I have this very real example, and I think most listeners, in one way or another, we've, we've all seen children at play. Um, and the idea really is that no one is no one tells it, uh, an infinite infant to attempt to lift their head or to fight and engage the muscles in their body they'll need to roll over or eventually to stand. And once they're standing to eventually start to, or even before that, learn to crawl and then learn to stand and then learn to walk. No one, no one tells us to do that. We're actually seeing a demonstration of dharma in that, in that child. Uh, we're seeing this force of nature. And in each instance, if we were to count the number of failures, I think it's, this is a really important piece because it's not just there's this ambition and motivation and some dynamic force that's compelling us to evolve and to grow and to expand. But, an, it, but alongside of that, there are uh, almost an infinite number of failures. Uh, when we watch a child trying to stand up, how many times they fall and, mm-hmm. and how, how unsteady they are. And yet that force continues to live. And the point I'm making is that I think that what happens is, and I think this is a really critical piece where we lose that inherent, innate quality to honor this force of nature moving within us is by the time we're seven, we start looking around, even maybe five, we start looking around to see if other people saw us fall. And sometimes children will cry more when they see that someone has seen them <laughs> fall than, when the, than from the actual hurt of the fall. And then what starts to happen is we start to now look at ourselves as an object through the eyes of other people's perception of us. As we go through life, then we collect heartache and disappointment and embarrassments. And each of those uh, disappointments and uh, um, scars, if you will, to me becomes a weight on that inherent, innate force of nature that we are, Mm. that's being compelled. And Mm -hmm. I think this is so telling. So we lose that. We lose it. My first teacher said something uh, interesting. He never, it was the only time he used the word sin. Sin's not a word that my teachers used at all for the most part. But he said, he said Rod, there's only one sin. And I, it kind of perked my interest. He said, the only sin is boredom. <laughs> and he, he, he essentially was saying to me, and we went, he went on in this conversation, he said, boredom is to be completely out of sync. It's, it's literally a, a symptom of being displaced from your soul. 
because the mm. soul is never bored. Mm-hmm. And and right. yeah, so therefore, mm. um, that gives to me that kind of. And you use the word surrender. Well, you know, in the yoga tradition, Patanjali, the great sage of yoga, uh, the seer of the yoga tradition, really says to us that it's abhyasa plus varagya. So there's the non-attachment, the surrendering, which is a varagya part. But abhyasa is the consistent effort to be where we want to be. So for the little small child, as I was saying, it, to learn to run, to learn to walk, to learn to crawl, to learn to speak. Um, that's the endeavor to be where I want to be, combined with non-attachment. And I'm not sure which unleashes the force of nature that is innate to all of us, but it really is, in my eyes, and I think I'm doing my best to communicate the vision of the tradition, says that that really is the nature of our soul, is to be Mm -hmm. that engaged and that, if you would, passionate, and yet, Completely open to failure. Completely open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is nothing and, at stake. I really, um, I just want to underscore this thing that you have brought up of what happens to us. Of course, it has to do with the development of the ego, but the way that it manifests is seeing ourselves from the outside. Um, which is a very interesting phenomena, isn't it? And so our point of reference becomes uh, external rather than internal. And as we start to practice um, yoga, you know, through our meditation and our disciplines, really I think of the whole of yoga as about learning uh, self-referral, you know, coming back to the self, capital S self, learning how to see and experience and know ourselves from the inside, you know, to overcome that uh, impediment <laughs> of um uh, you know, seeing ourselves externally, you know, and having that point of reference, which um, doesn't do us any good at all in terms of, you know, fulfilling our um, potential. I mean, it it, it helps us um, be socially astute. You know, we need some of it, <laughs> so we're not, um, you know, stepping on other people's toes. But in terms of our um, fundamental point of reference, yoga teaches us um, how to have of self-referral, how to listen uh, to that still small voice within us, how to listen to the body, right, you know, and how to um, clarify the mind so that we can receive uh, inner guidance. And, and so the disciplines of yoga are, I think, critical to us finding our way, you know, the way that is uniquely ours, because we're never going to get that through looking uh, just looking outward, you know, we have to be able to uh, look inward. It, it's a very, it, it really, I do think, I agree with you. I think this is really at the heart of what we are doing when we're practicing, and that is, re, is, is, is redefining the very essence of our self-identity. And indeed, we can look outward. How, you know, we look outward and we judge ourselves by how much we make, how much money we make, where we live, our clothing, our jobs, all those kinds of things. And there is a certain legitimacy to that. We need to kind of check in to what we would call object referral as opposed to self-referral. And uh, But at the same time, if we ignore that inner reality that truly defines us, then we're really living half a life. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. exactly. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, and because this is so um, critical, and um, you do such a beautiful job in your in your book about it, and that is, um, okay, you know, so we've developed this skill of self-referral, and, and we start to have some sense of clarity about our individual expression, what is ours to do, and um, we have so much power in our will. Um, as, as Paramahansa Yogananda said, our wisdom guided will, you know, that will that we align with our higher purpose and our higher power. Um, and so 
learning how to set an intention um, to bring that forth is one of the first steps that we can take in um, fulfilling our swadharma. And I know this is critical to, um, or I believe it is critical to what you teach, um, how we can set an intention and how setting intention actually puts in motion then um, the unfolding of our swadharma. So if I got that right, um, <laughs> to tell us more about it. If I got it wrong, then correct me and um, take us onward. Okay. I think I think one of the things I want to make sure that we, we just touch upon before we end the call, and that is this, that very often people make this, uh, they extrapolate from this idea. We use this word dharma and then usually defined as purpose. And very often when we think of finding our purpose, people almost invariably replace the word purpose with profession. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I want to make it clear that they're not—they're not equivalents at all. Uh, I see that if you find your purpose, and, and and in that sense, I'm I'm really going to make the case if it's more a unique ray or note. And so, even though, for example, Yogacharya, you and I are both teachers and teachers of this ancient wisdom, we both have gurus, and uh, at the same time, our ray. How it gets communicated, in fact, what we maybe do for our students may be slightly different. And I would make the case that if I'm living my dharma, it, has, it means living, following the dharma well outside of my professional life. I, I'm ultimately communicating a similar ray as a father and as a husband and as a citizen. And it's important that we understand it's not just what I do for a living, Purpose is really finding that unique ray. Since the book came out, I continued to, the book is out about six years now, and I, I continue to teach it. And really, once the book was written, I realized there were refinements in the process that could make it easier for people to help find their dharma. So we actually did a workbook, which I'm incredibly pleased with because it really moves people through the process. It's less important to me that people understand the nuance of all of these philosophies and more important that they're actually living them. And to do that, you need to ask exactly what you just brought up, which is, okay, how do we, how do we, first we have to get clear on what the Dharma is. What is my unique ray, so to speak? How do I ray out into the world? And then how do I, you know, what does committing to it look like? So what I would say is, number one, I, there's two pieces to this. One is, I do things like in the workbook, which is how I began to improve the live courses, etc. But I ask people to write a poem. I ask the opening, the opening minutes of the of the of the course curriculum I teach live is how the uh, workbook opens, and I simply ask people to remember a time in their life where they were thriving, and not thriving because circumstances were great, but thriving in the midst of challenging circumstances. And I ask people first to do this meditation and enter into that kind of awareness of despite the challenges and in spite of what was happening in their life, the best of them push through. And it's amazing that why I ask them to write a poem is because poems have a tendency to be more unique, more authentic, and they kind of come out of nowhere. Most of us aren't, don't think of us as, as poets, and yet given the opportunity, they're usually much more expressive, and there's language in there that crackles with that force of nature. Um, I then ask people to extract the, the most powerful verbs and ideas in there for them. And that becomes the beginning, one of the most powerful tools we use. We use about four to help people find their purpose. At that point, they get this vision that, of what the Svatharma is, that it's unique to them how they find redemption in their life, how they can't conquer their challenges, how they shine in the most meaningful way in their life. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, once once they do that, another piece of it is really uh, um, uh, is a sense of uh, understanding how you could how you could phrase that in a way that becomes actionable. Um, very often, people lean into this kind of idea of very flowery language around purpose, and I really discourage people from doing that. In fact, I, I developed a rule. And the rule is this. You can only use the word love, (laughs) serve, or give. No, you can use one of those three, but you can't use more than one in your Dharma code. (laughs) Because we all lean into love and serve and give. But I've actually met nurses, for example, who that's all they do is serve. They're exhausted, 
and it's, they're exhausted, they're burnt out, they're having crises in their own family because their giving is out of balance. And there's more to them than just being a giver. So I, I make this requirement, you only can use one of those three words, when I have people make this declaration of what would you do to live that poem? How could, what, what is it you want to remember on a daily basis to be at that, to kind of embody that force of nature that's in line with your individual dharma? And that, that becomes the key for setting up the language and, and moving into it, uh, moving into this, um, uh, really this place of profound satisfaction. Um, that, I'm hoping that makes some sense. And it does, and it sounds like a very, very beautiful process of having, um, having us look at, in a sense, when we were at our, uh, let's, I would say, when we were at our soul best. That's right. <laughs> our, mm-hmm. our soul best. And in a situation where we felt that strength of the soul rising. And what did that look like? What did we experience? And then drawing out from there, in a sense, what is ours to bring forth and to, and to shine through, um, whatever we do. And our, and our swadharma then lives in there. It's a particular quality that we bring forth. And then I think we find that um, our profession, our vocation, our family life um, is imbued, you know, with that intentionality um, of, of what it is that, that we are um, bringing forth. The other thing that we that, you know, just turning back to the quote, that you read from from Shaw, and where he talks about being a force of nature instead of a, a clot of ailments and grievances, complaining about the world. Here's what living purpose is really to me, kind of a, I don't know if it's a secondary or primary value, but the reality is this: is that it frees us from being circumstantially dependent dependent on circumstances for our happiness. We become mm. freed of that. We can really, to the, at this moment, you could, we can live for the circumstances being just right in our life, or we can live to fulfill the purpose. And guess what? The circumstances are always changing. The landscape of our life is full of uncertainty and <laughs> change, right? No matter what. On, that is on. so true, and I think um, is this a good place for us to, you know, kind of sure. come to the conclusion this morning? Because um, what you have just touched upon, you know, to me, I think is one of the most valuable and critical understandings of this whole process, which is, I think um, that we do get this idea, like, okay, you know, once I know what my uh, purpose is, and once I have an understanding of my swadharma, my individual gifts, and I'm, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm going to engage in that. Then, then we also, I think we link it up with when I'm doing that, I'm going to be successful. But we have uh, an idea of success, again, viewed from the outside instead of from the inside. Now, I think... Um, you know, the, the, the chances are that yes, you, you, you will be successful in many ways, but the point is to understand that this this success is about soul culture. It's not about what we're producing or what we're achieving, um, which is a byproduct. It's about um, the unfoldment of our soul capacities and our higher understanding. Would you would you agree? Hundred percent. Uh, yeah, beautifully said. Beautifully said. It's the one thing. It's one of the few things we get to take with us. When <laughs> when, when this life is done, I will leave a I will leave a few belongings. Hopefully, I've raised some healthy kids that can bring some something good into the world when when uh, through their work and their efforts. But the reality is, I get to take my practice, the results and outcome of my practice. Krishna assures us of that, and that is that none of our none of our efforts toward practice will ever go wasted. We take that with us. And the other thing is that I will leave with the values I lived for. Not the stuff I accomplished, but the values that were in play that I stood out that I was that I was claiming through my actions, that I was claiming through my intentions. That goes with us. And in that sense it really offers us the ability to be you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the prototype, the modern prototype of Arjuna on the battlefield, and that is that we face challenges in our life. 
Do we live for the outcome or do we live for having lived the best soul-driven purpose? And yeah. That is, yeah. That is, uh, that's unassailable. That <laughs> if, if we are there, then really we have something unique. That's beautiful, Yoga Rupa. Thank you so much. And thank you for, again, returning to the Yoga Hour. And let me just remind listeners again, they can find out more about you and your work at parayoga.com. And I'm so glad that you brought up poetry as a way right into um, grappling, uh, understanding, and seeing the blossoming of our Dharma, because I have a new book of mystical poetry that is coming out now in just a couple of weeks. Um, called The Moon Reminded Me. And so if you're listening in real time in January 2017, um, we will have a launch event on February 17th at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose for that book. Uh, beautiful concert and reading. And then I'll be doing readings um, at different places uh, across the country. So uh, visit my website, Ellen Grace O'Brien, O'Brien with an A, dot com, and you can find out about that new book and pre-order it if you like. The Moon Reminded Me. And uh, I want to thank our Yoga Hour team. This uh, Yoga Hour is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. So my warmest uh, thanks to uh, producer and regular guest host, Dr. Laura Trujillo, uh, our assistant producers, Nita Kenyon and Anne Hayes, and of course, the ever-present, omnipresent Jeff Comfort <laughs> there in the sound booth at Unity Online Radio. And again, Yoga Rupa, thank you so much for being here today. Such an honor and uh, both an honor and a pleasure. Thanks again, Yogacharya. Thank you. And to everyone tuning in, I look forward to being with you again. And um, remember to let your inner light shine into the world and to share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. When I look at the world around me, I may feel dismayed by the amount of conflict I see. Of course I want things to be different, and perhaps I'm willing to take action, but so often I don't know exactly what to do or how. Sometimes the best place to start is with myself. By first looking at my own life and relationships, I may find areas of conflict that need to be resolved. If I want that resolution, I must work for it within myself. Peace is a personal responsibility, an ever-present power I must choose to accept. Every time I work to heal something within myself, I am helping to heal the world. Peace happens one heart at a time. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org.
God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 